Welcome to Season 4 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the leaders' conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? Well, this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you don't never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at University of Southern Maine. And we are both thrilled for this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Becca Shetty. Hi, Becca. Hi, really excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, as uh, I've been kind of excited to have this conversation for a little bit. So I um, recently sat in on your presentation at a conference late last year. You're talking about your dissertation work um, from your doctoral program at the University of Georgia. And I thought it would be so interesting for you to come on our show and discuss some of what uh, you uh, discovered, uh, talk a little bit about your process. And so um, before we get into that piece, though, we want to make sure our audience knows who you are. Um, so could you share like a little bit about yourself, maybe kind of how you got to this space? Um, and just kind of give the audience a little bit of your background as a leadership educator. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so probably the most pertinent thing to start with would be my master's education. So I went to the, uh, I went to Florida State University for my master's in higher education and it was a phenomenal experience. I originally came into the field um, surprisingly thinking I wanted to career services. That is so funny to me now in retrospect. <laughs> um, but I got involved in an internship um, working with um, the uh, undergraduate leadership certificate program um, through what is now the Center for Leadership and Social Change um, with some of the amazing faculty and staff in the center. And um, that just revolutionized what I wanted to do. Um, teaching, um, I taught leadership in groups and communities for two semesters, got more involved with advising students and working with their leadership capacity and education. And um, that just became a passion area. So my master's program is really where it all started. Um, from then, I've, I've kind of had leadership education infused throughout all the things that I do, which has um, been the passion area. So I was able to work with some student org things and some student leadership in my first job out of grad school, um, and then moved into working with um, I moved and now I'm at Emory University. Um, so that's where I am now and have been for a number of years um, and was able to work with a program that focused on ethical leadership, which was really cool. Um, and now I actually work with our orientation leader program at Emory, which has a huge focus on um, leadership education. And then I had the great fortune over the past year and a half to essentially redevelop our leadership education functional area from the ground up at Emory. Um, so that's been remarkable and super, super fun. Um, have an amazing staff. So I've gotten to dabble in it kind of throughout my time and then um, just wrapped up my doctoral program doing this amazing research at the University of Georgia. Um, so that has been amazing, but I definitely wanted to focus on something leadership related um, as well as something justice oriented. So um, that is sort of how my, my dissertation project came to be. That's really fascinating. And, and obviously, uh, we love the Florida State connection. So you're at Emory. Do you, do you get a chance to interact with Ben Perlman at all? I do. I'm actually having a uh, training with him later this afternoon. <laughs> okay. Small world. So I met 
Kathy Guthrie, who I know you studied with at Florida State, um, and Ben at the same time, we both had somehow volunteered to be part of this NASPA precon in, in 2012. And it's just, it's such a small world with leadership education. And, you know, and I love your story because that's one of the things that have, we've learned from the from the research about leadership educators is these like circuitous routes that we take, you know, mm-hmm. do I start here? Do I end up here? You know, um, being exposed to, and particularly in such a strong student affairs and higher education program that, that you get at, at Florida State and so many other universities that had these internships and externships and just throwing you to, to everything that is part of the college experience. And many leadership educators are, are finding these opportunities um, at that point in their in their career exploration to be able to, um, to fall into that. And so it's interesting that that not only opened you up to this world of leadership education, but also started to help guide you towards, you know, your dissertation research. So, so like what, tell me more about that. Like what made you choose the particular topic? Like, yeah, it's a good story. Well, I think it's maybe a good story, hopefully. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, LEI, LEI 2016, that is the place. Um, so uh, I was entering into my program. I started the summer prior. So it would have been like June 2016, LEI is in December. So six months later, but I knew, you know, from, from recommendations, try to pick a topic early, try to focus, like get in there. Um, and so I, uh, I was at a place in my career where I knew that leadership was really important to me. I had been doing leadership education, but I don't know that I would have called myself a leadership educator at that time. I just knew it was something really important to me um, and how passionate I was about that. And so I knew, you know, as a dissertation, you want to study something you're passionate about. That would, you know, it's that's how you get through. That's how you push through how the hard work, all the hard work. And so um, I was at LEI and just really feeling so strongly that this is what I have to do. Like I need to do something related to leadership. This is remarkable. Um, I've always been interested in sort of self-authorship and like, who are we and how do we identify? And um, those really like big purpose meaning questions as well. And then my program, so I was actually in a counselor education program, which is a little bit different than some colleagues, um, but our program had a really significant social justice emphasis. And so we had a number of social justice classes, everything we talked about, infused justice concepts. Um, and so in addition to knowing, okay, I want to do something leadership, I also knew I wanted to do something to amplify voices of the marginalized. And I didn't exactly know what that would be like. Um, but I really ultimately landed on this idea of, of leader identity development. I think after learning about and ex- exploring the lid model a little bit more, really thinking through, okay, who was the population? This was, you know, what was the original grounded theory? What was their population? Recognizing it was, um, you know, about, I don't know, I'm bad at math, but eight out of 13 participants were male and a lot of white students. Um, There were students of color, but also a lot of white students in that 13 um, participant pool. And so just knowing, you know, we need to give a greater focus to something else to really target in. And um, ultimately it was a very personal decision. I had three amazing black women in my cohort, um, some really amazing women, friends who identify as black African-American in my life. Um, And I could have picked any population. So, um, you know, sometimes when we call it me search, you know, it was me search a little bit of, of just 
personal connections. I could have picked anything, um, but that just is where I landed and um, knew I wanted to be really specific. I did a sort of a pilot study in a class with women of color, and that's just so broad. I mean, the experiences of women of color are drastically different from one another, and not that the Black African American community is homogenous, because it's absolutely not, but giving a little bit more focus. So yeah, it was just a combination of a lot of factors kind of coming together for me all at one time. Um, but I think I was really inspired by um, all the talks and all of the things I was learning at LEI 2016, plus those personal experiences. And it just kind of came together really easily for me. I didn't have a hard time at all and um, have stayed passionate about the topic through it all. And I'm still obsessed with it. <laughs> No, love that. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. And and it's so interesting that you share this idea of you know the quote unquote me search. You know, I think about some of the the work that I've engaged in about leadership educator stories and what some of the scholarship that I that we uncovered, um, both through the some of the research that I've done and then the new directions that I wrote with Carrie Priest was this idea of of we do so much like of our own autobiographical work, you know, when we're doing particularly qualitative research because we want to know like, am I Am I crazy? You know, am I exploring this because I'm the only one that wants to know about this? And or, you know, are we, you know, we engage in things that were, as you mentioned, you know, you that you found this, you know, passion and and leadership education and wanting to learn more about this. And so, you know, just trying to find out like, you know, do I share this experience with with others? And and is there a way to contribute to the field by, you know, learning a little bit more about yeah. this? So just curious, you know, how did that, how do you think you may have grown um, through some of this search process? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, significantly, for sure. Um, I think what I probably have a, a better answer to this question, but something that's originally making me think of is when it comes to, you know, yeah, am I the only one who's thinking about this? Am I the only one who wants to know about this? I sat in a presentation um, with Dr. Owen, Dr. Julie Owen, uh, in 2018, and they were talking about um, her and some additional presenters were talking about the lid model. Um, Dr. Comavez was in the space, but I don't, I can't remember if she was actually in the presentation or just in the space for support. Um, talking about sort of applications and, and how the lid model is working for us as a tool. And I was brave enough to raise my little hand with my imposter syndrome of like, I'm going to study, I'm going to study this for my dissertation and here's some thoughts. And um, it, it kind of launched a conversation of, you know, I'm more, I'm, I looked at black African-American women, but does there need to be an individualized model for all sorts of populations, you know, and that's a question that was raised and man, how much work would that take um, to really sit there and do the research to, to hash through all these different populations, but maybe that is the work that needs to be done. And I think to sort of speak to your question, that's sort of how I've grown is sometimes the work is massive and sometimes you uncover these things and uncover more things. Um, and so definitely realizing there are populations that deserve to have their own voices heard and their own models to help us understand because what it means to be a white man leader is not the same thing as being a black female leader or an Asian male leader or a Southeast Asian female leader. Like those are very different things based on how the world literally sees you physically um, and how you see yourself in the world. And so I think, I mean, it's just this radical realization of 
the individualized nature of, of leadership and how we as educators sort of owe it to our students to do right by them, to understand the process that they're going through as a person as they think about leadership. Um, so I feel like my sense of advocacy, my sense of urgency has sort of changed because, you know, at one point I knew it was going to be a cool project that was meant to be part advocacy, part research, but I mean, that just expanded tenfold, right? Um, as you go through the process and hear these stories and knowing that theirs are not the only stories. Um, so I think that's a big piece. I think, um, you know, I've always loved all things academic. I love school. I like to learn. I love to read and write. And so I think that has certainly been affirmed, but I do think, I don't know at one point, did I ever see myself as being a researcher long-term, but I think that's certainly changed. I think if you're pursuing a doctorate, I mean, already you're sort of entwined in that, but I, I do love to read and write and research and, um, you know, really hope to continue that. I'm, I'm slowly on my way trying to, to get my dissertation work published here sometime in the near future. I'm going to speak that into the universe. Um, so really excited to continue working on, on things like this. Oh, that's so great to hear. I feel like, I, you know, I don't know how we haven't met before because when you <laughs> talked about the LEI 2016 and then Julie Owen, I think I was in the same session in 2018. Was it in Orlando? Yeah. So yeah. It's in, yeah. So it's so it's interesting that that you say that. I also think too, like we talk a lot about the importance of conferences and every episode someone comes in and shares like how an, an ALE, LEI, ILA, some something sparked mm -hmm. kind of where they are now. And it's amazing to be in those spaces, knowing that the next, you know, um, new directions topic may come out of there, or someone may find, you know, a line of research that will still spend a significant amount of time in over a really long period of time. So I, I love those kind of origin stories. Um, I love this idea of me search because so in my doc program, we do a lot of positionality, every paper, it's the first section is positionality. And it's amazing how you don't just keep plopping the same piece in, but as you're going through each of those papers, you're, it's evolving. And it's so amazing to see that. And, and I almost feel like we're in this space where everybody sees themselves in something that they do, just meaning that they can, can see how doing this work and why they're so passionate about it is not just going to live in some journal, it's going to get out in the world. So we're all like slowly being duped into either action <laughs> research or like scholar practitioner, scholar researcher. I feel like we're all like coming over to the dark side, which is dope. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I also think too, like you, you touched on something slight, but, but don't you, it's like nerve wracking when you're in that dissertation process and you're like, I, I think I'm going to like, I think I'm going to look into that. Like, and you're saying it to the people who created these models or who have done so much extensive research and it's so nerve wracking. Right. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it oh, sounds yeah. like it yeah. was, it was, it was. And I, um, so speaking to LEI 2020, that just happened, um, just to be completely frank, I almost lost my mind when Dr. Komovic sat in on my session about my research. I mean, I literally almost cried and it was like before the presentation even started, I was like, oh my gosh, got to pull it together. Um, totally fangirling. And, um, Afterwards, she she private messaged me some really just very sweet comments, and the result of that was that I sent her my a copy of the dissertation, um, and in it, I, you know, I'm critiquing her and her colleagues' work. You know, it's this, you know, it's great, it's foundational, it's huge to our our field, 
And here's some additional thoughts and here's where this research led me. And so, yes, like talk about nerve wracking when these pillars of the actual profession, <laughs> you know, having to sit here and, and have them read that, which of course they understand that. And I'm, it, it is fine. We're, we're all scholars and, and colleagues, but you know, yes, it's, it's remarkable and wild. And, um, I'm still working through some imposter syndrome pieces related to this work and just the idea of engaging in more research, but, um, you know, definitely giving major kudos to those who have come before who have laid foundations for us to build on. Yeah. And she's so great though. I mean, her response, I mean, she, she, yeah, I, I mentioned to her in the lobby at LEI 2018 in Orlando that I was studying something and she sent me 10 resources like the next week. I mean, she's just like a, like a walking encyclopedia who wants to just spread research across the land. And she, yeah. So when they're the official, I don't know, Dan, you may know where the official club is, but when the official (laughs) club begins, I totally am trying to be a member at large. I'll represent, I'll represent. <laughs> she's I mean, so like wonderful. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, Becca, you've, you've been, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Initiated, you know, it's a rite of passage. Um, it's so funny. Cause I, I remember. So first, first time I ever, uh, um, presented at a professional conference, it was with, um, Amanda Kutchins, who now is over at, at app state. And, um, we were just getting ready to start. This is LEI 2010. It just happened to be at University of South Florida because we were, um, and I didn't even know that LEI existed. You know, it was like one of, one of these things where we just happened to put in this proposal and and what have you. And we're about to start and the door opens and Susan Gomez walks in and sits right in the front. And we're, and like, and I recognized her, but I'm not sure if Amanda did. And we're like, and I'm like, that's Susan Gomez. <laughs> You know, and we're like deep breaths, deep breaths, you know. Um, and then two years later at LEI at Ohio State, I was actually presenting on something similarly where it had to do with the lib model a little bit. And there she is. And you're, you're just like in your brain going, oh my gosh, you know, what here I am critiquing, you know, with these people in the audience. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, anxiety producing, but also humbling. And I had the same experience you did where, where, um, where um, Susan was just so just generous with her time and with resources and following up and, and, you know, she's not there to intimidate. Um, and it's funny because I've talked to, you know, like uh, folks like Julie Owen, who have been a student of her and they're like, you know, she, she'll give you that eye that she's, she's listening and she's, she's thinking, but she's not, she's always doing it in a loving way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and is there to give feedback and make connections. She, she's just fan- fantastic like that. And, and mm-hmm. what a great role model for, for young and aspiring. Uh, oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. She's also a fan of the podcast because we, yes. we had a couple episodes <laughs> and she listened and sent an email saying how great it was. And she is definitely one person we are going to have on the show, yes. but we have to get ourselves to like, we have to, if we're going to do it, we really got to be prepared and have like, we may have a whole script out just because we know how precious that time is. That's right. Um, I do have one more comment though. I love that you talked about searching for a program that combined leadership and social justice. And I think that is super important because we are witnessing a time where where social justice is at the forefront of everybody's minds. And I feel like it's our job, especially working in higher education, to prepare our students for doing this work. You know, like it's meaningful, but it's also going to be hard and you're going to run into people with different opinions. And it's like, how are you, how do you kind of know yourself? 
so that when you go out into this these spaces, you can truly understand kind of what you're getting into and what needs to be done. And so I love that you sought out that in your doctoral program and in your research. Um, can you talk just a little bit maybe about, um, you know, kind of where that social justice piece for you really came from? Like, is it like a past relative or an, a faculty member or just like where you grew up? Kind of where did that piece come from for you? Definitely not where I grew up. <laughs> I grew up in a really, really homogenous place, both for, um, you know, middle school, high school, college, all of it, just super homogenous, super white, fairly wealthy. Um, I feel like I just had this heart of compassion that was just so ignorant. Right. And so, um, I do think graduate school at Florida state was really like where everything got unlocked for me of just, wow, like people live oppressed lives. Like that's a real thing. And that's just how ignorant I was. I just didn't know. And like, yes, I knew, of course, there were people who were quote unquote, lesser off or, you know, not as fortunate, you know, you hear those terms all the time, but, um, not the words oppression or power or privilege or all these other things. And so it was literally hearing from cohort mates who were living those experiences and the vulnerability that they had to share that. And then just, again, opening my eyes. I mean, just the basic multicultural class, diversity class, where you're literally learning about the isms, which for me were brand new for the most part. And so, um, and I just, I, I don't know, I, you know, I'm a person of faith. I, I do believe in God. And so I think part of it is just believing that like, I'm, I'm blessed that I, I had a heart that was receptive to that because it can be so easy um, for those with privileged identities to just shut down or feel really defensive. And I, not to say that I didn't and don't sometimes I'm not, I, I it is a constant, uh, I'm a constant work in progress, but I just, I, I took it all in. I, I believed it and, and really was moved by all the things I was learning. And then that just never stopped, you know, as you're hopefully, um, you know, in, in the, in this field of broadly student affairs. And then I, I've been really lucky in my places of employment, which were Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. And then now at Emory University, I've, I've only worked at two institutions because I've been at Emory for quite a bit. Um, this is something they cared about. You know, they cared about students. They cared about students of all identities. And so being in professional spaces that really valued that has also continued to help me grow, especially at Emory, really, you know, doing our best to focus as much as we can on, on social issues and justice issues. And so having opportunities to learn more, to serve as a social justice education facilitator, a safe space facilitator, like all those different things, professional conferences, of course, my doctor my doc program. Um, so it, it just happened for me. It was just this kind of journey. Um, and, and it's taken a decade to kind of be where I am now. And I'm again, not perfect, but, um, a proud work in progress of, of trying to amplify others' voices and, and shed light and share with others with privileged identities who, who look and, and think like me and helping others also along that journey. Um, yeah. I love that you're sharing the, the story with you and it, it, you know, our own stories, our own narrative experiences. I mean, that's going to have so much of an impact on what we, what we choose to study. And I've learned, we've learned that from so many of the guests that we've had and certainly so many of the leadership educators and, and, and students too, that I've interacted with, you know, through, throughout my career in higher education. So it's interesting. So I, you know, I, I took some time to just uh, skim through some of the first pages of the, of the dissertation and the abstract and, and whatnot. I have not read it all the way through, I'll <laughs> confess. Um, but um, I can't believe you read know. any of it. Wow. <laughs> so, but but it's interesting because I've you know I've always thought about 
the lib model for for all that it's contributed you know to to the field there's there's always been some you know justified criticisms of um the population that was studied as, as you mentioned um as well as the age group you know in particular not just the fact that you know they may have been overly representative of of a non-diverse uh, sample or what have you and, and reading that why you, you mentioned that you, you you know while you may not be able to identify as much with the individuals that were part of the sample or, or the participants that you know so gracious to them for being able to, to have them as part of your, your research and so curious about you know what did you find that was really really I guess unexpected for you as you think about you know comparing the findings of the experience of these um, I guess it was 11 you know African American mm-hmm. women that were in I guess you said mm-hmm. one college one university in the southeast and you know versus the you know sample that was part of the the lid model and and again too we're um, we're going back 15 years or whatever it was <laughs> when the original lid model was constructed and I don't know if that research may have been done even a year or two prior to that that. Um, so yeah, what, what did you find that was, you know, just super interesting to you? And yeah. you know, what would you want to make sure that, that folks knew if, if you were giving them an elevator talk on your, yeah, um, on your results? What a dream, giving my elevator speech about this amazing research. <laughs> um, but actually, really quick, speaking back to um, something you did just say that, I, I, you know, if I didn't address it, I think it would be super problematic is, um, so you can't see me listeners, but I do identify as white. I am technically half Mexican, so I am I am biracial, but bi-ethnic, but that's a very complicated thing for me. We don't have time for that, but I look white. I'm treated like I'm white. I have never faced discrimination or oppression based on the way that I look. And so my experience, my lived experience is being white. Um, so all that to say, yes. Okay. Here comes this white lady coming into research, black women, like what? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I definitely addressed. I, you know, there's a whole section of just this is sort of how I identify and it's not the same. And I a hundred percent recognize that. And so how do I silence myself as much as possible and let the voices of the participants really speak for themselves in the research. And so, um, you know, I really, if I am able to publish the work, I hope that comes through in the dissertation. I hope that came through, you know, using tons and tons of quotes, really trying to make sure I was just summarizing and capturing and synthesizing the voices of the participants as much as I possibly could, um, because it was an honor and a privilege for them to share with me. I actually didn't, with my participants, I didn't experience really any kind of resistance or the need for very serious rapport building. Like they were very forthcoming very quickly. And I I think it's because of the environments that they're in and the university and the college they're attending where they've kind of found themselves for the most part. They're not, you know, they, they're confident in themselves. And so they were very forthcoming and very bold. So I was so, so blessed. I mean, that's really just the best word for it to hear these stories. And it was, it was truly an honor. Um, I, I mean, I still literally hear their voices. Like I see their faces. I hear their voices. It was so meaningful. Um, but things that they shared, things that are important to know. Um, so yes, yeah, so deviating a little bit from the lid model, which, um, you know, has these six, six steps and you kind of move through the steps and, um, a lot of that was the same. Like there's these elements of like, I don't even know what leadership is to know. I understand what that is to yes. Like I could maybe be a leader, but I do think there's a lot of differences. Um, I will say that if I could say nothing else, probably the most important thing to understand, at least from my participant pool is the role of mothers and the role of mothering, which for me, because I'm not a part of the black or African-American community. I 
yeah, I had not ever heard the term mothering. Um, and I, I don't even remember if it was a participant that used that word, or if I just researched it later when I realized like this role of mothers and maybe, maybe it was the faculty member who gave me the word. Cause I, th I had a, a black faculty, a black female faculty member, and she might've given me the word and some articles to look at, <clears throat> but all this to say mothers or mother figures. So in some cases, um, a mom was maybe out of the picture. And so we're talking about like, I think one of them had a great aunt, like it was her great aunt. That was that person for others. It was a grandma, but mothers, um, were huge. And what I mean by that is in society, we are not seeing a ton, a ton of black female leaders. Like that's just not a thing. If you think about what society sees as a leader, even now we're still talking male, white, cis, wealthy, all these things. And so when young black girls don't see themselves represented in culture, their example is their mom. It's this person who's leading their family, who's leading in the workplace, who's leading, volunteering, whatever it is their mother's doing, it's leadership. And so they're seeing that's the example that they have is this mom. And not only that, but often their mothers do exhibit strong traits of leadership. It's not just because they're the only person around, but it's because their mothers to them really do exemplify what it means to be a good leader in their communities where people are taking care of each other, taking care of their family, et cetera. And so it's, it's seeing themselves mirrored. It's, it's seeing themselves represented in their mothers and the encouragement that moms bring. And that's probably fairly universal, but the encouragement and the empowerment for these black women is also pretty critical. Um, I think one of the ways in which the model, my model is also different than the original lid model is that one of my steps, it's also step oriented, but one of my steps is actually kind of a three-parter and it's this kind of cycle. It's a three-part cycle. And basically it's the time and place where, yes, I recognize that I'm a leader. Sure. But I'm a black female leader. And that's, that's unique in and of itself because I face discrimination and oppression because people look at me and doubt me um, because they don't necessarily think I'm capable. Um, and there are microaggressions, you know, related to that, that, that identification is just as critical as I'm a leader. It's like, I'm a leader, I'm a black female leader and the encouragement, the empowerment, the affirmation that you are in fact black and female and a leader, those things all tie in together. And so mothers are also the place where that, that place of empowerment and encouragement comes in of being told you are able, you can do it. I believe in you. Um, that encouragement comes from a lot of other places too. peer, peer support was significant when someone else tells you, you have been my leader and you've rocked it. You've done so great. And I so appreciate that from you. You know, peer encouragement was huge. Um, encouragement from mentors who maybe are on the college campus who are able to, to say, yeah, you know, I, I'm your advisor and you did such an awesome job. Um, so anywho, the, the mother piece is huge. I think that the identification as a leader is intersectional like that. It, there's just no way around that. And so it's not as simple as I'm a leader. It's, it's, I'm all these things together intersectionally. So I think that also makes it a little bit different. Um, and then I think the biggest thing that I write about really does come down to, aside from the mothering aspect is really around discrimination and microaggressions and oppression. Um, it's, it's, 
inescapable um, for these young women. It's part of their lived experience from the day they're born until forever. Um, and so how that influences the leadership journey by creating so much doubt, so much imposter syndrome, so much frustration and pain that they then overcome to gain this tremendous confidence and, and desire to give back. I think, uh, I think it's the generativity stage in the original lead model that sort of talks about that. And I, and I think it, this mirrors that, but it, the motivation I think is different. It's not, yeah, I'm a leader and like, it'd be cool to kind of mentor others. It's, I have an obligation and a responsibility and a humility to serving my community and to help others rise up because I know that they struggled. Um, and so I think that that also is a little bit different than the original model. Um, I could go on and on, but those are some of the kind of key things that I think are important for anyone to understand. Wow. That's so powerful. Like you just saying, like talking about maternal leadership and talking about how for black women or black young women, black girls, I guess, um, that the first person they're seeing and identifying with is, is their mother because they may not be getting it from other spaces. Um, mm -hmm. I identify as a black woman and, and I laugh because my first paper in my doc program was a reflective leadership essay and I'm writing, well, I was involved in student government and I, you know, started this sport organization and they're like, no, 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 no. You have to like dig really deeper. And I dug back to my grandma, great grandmothers who were flipping houses in the early 1900s in urban populations. And they were renting rooms because nobody would rent rooms to other black people. So they were very entrepreneurial. And then my grandmothers were both educators. They were in, um, large school districts in New Jersey and had leadership roles in those school districts for a really long time. And so like, I, like, it's funny, my advice at two or three years ago, my advisor was talking about imposter syndrome and I was like, I don't have it. And he was just like, kind of like, there's no way you don't have it. And I'm like, my grandmother's flipped houses in the early like 20th century. Do you, do you really think that they would have raised me to like, if I'm somewhere, it's because I deserve to be there and I'm going to face some stuff and that's fine. But because of the strength of those four women, in addition to my mother and aunts, but like, because of their strength, like, I don't even, it's like, I'm supposed to be here. The universe put me here. God provided, like, this is where it is. And it's so interesting because I've never taken a maternal leadership workshop, like until you really said it. And until I wrote this paper, I never really thought about how those were my first leaders, you know, it's mm -hmm. so interesting. And then I look at my, my students that I work with now, I teach undergraduate students, they're, you know, looking at Michelle Obama, they're looking at Kamala Harris, they're looking at Oprah. And I'm just like, you know, I love those women and they are wonderful. Like when I was their age, like I didn't have a Michelle Obama, you know, or, or their stories weren't being told as prominently as mm -hmm. they are now. And so it, it's a beautiful thing. It's like a blessing and a curse because as we're getting more powerful leaders, I'm curious about how is that going to then shift that maternal leadership, or is that always going to be there? Do you know what I mean? So it just, it makes yeah. me think of like a hundred more questions and like research yeah. that you can do. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, funny. uh, I want to say ha about half, probably five or six of the participants mentioned the Obamas. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that was also like almost a theme in itself of just like how important it was to see black bodies represented in the highest levels of power um, and how meaningful that was. And you're right, like those who are, you know, 
even a little bit younger than, than me and, and older, um, didn't have that yet. Um, and didn't have that experience. And even still it's one family, you know? And so I, I do think it will be interesting as, as society catches up and as more people of color enter positions of power, how will that change the narrative? Um, and, and thank goodness for that, you know, thank goodness the narrative is changing. I also think too, um, I was lucky because in undergrad, my assistant dean of student affairs was a black woman with a doctorate and like 20 years of experience when I got there. And so all of my leadership programs, like there was that diversity lens and I went to a large PWI and PWI. And so I, I think it's so interesting because yeah, I just think it's so interesting because I wonder how that influenced, like continued my leadership. Like once I got out of like the maternal space and was in more like office professional environments and these leadership programs, I wonder how having her kind of just continued that, that, that leadership piece, but we could talk to you all day long about this. We could talk forever about this. Dan, do you have anything to jump in with before we wrap things up? I think it's just so interesting to, to to learn about these it's these influences and you know both that you shared Becca and Lauren that that we have growing up and then and and so much that we're modeling as leadership educators I think is coming out through some of this qualitative research that you know aspiring leadership educators are are doing as their dissertation research of learning about the lived experiences of others because it's so important for us to kind of increase some of that like socio-emotional awareness of the lived experiences of others and through this work you know again whether whether it's autobiographical work um, or we're learning about the lived experiences of folks that we you know are are willing to be vulnerable and say like while I can't identify with your experience, I want to know more about it. And, and this is my way of doing this and being okay to, you know, to, to share that and put that out there in space, um, which, which I think, which definitely, I, I definitely respect. So yeah, thank you so much for, for being on the show with us. And this wraps up our uh, episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Um, best of luck this semester and we'll see you soon. We would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. That's Dr. Underscore Leadership, and uh, Lauren is at M R S L A U R J B. That's Mrs. Laura J B. Um, and you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars. As the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you'll listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcast.